We're gonna be alright I wanna see you fly Come on, let's go Let's go with grace Hey, and welcome to the Soul Force Podcast Go with Grace Responding to white Christian supremacy with resistance and resilience. Here we ask, what is white Christian supremacy and how does it show up in our daily lives? I'm your host, Grace Nichols. This week, I'm in conversation with Janae Taylor, a storyteller, play director, Black Joy Experience album songwriter, and cultural organizer for the Highlander Education and Research Center, often referred to as The Hill. Janae and I have a spirited conversation about cultural organizing frameworks, land, legacy, and place, a methodology that guides Highlanders' work, and the different attitudes and survival strategies we inherited from our ancestors. As a training location for multiracial, intergenerational, and cross-class organizing, the Highlander Center has always been a threat to the divisions created by white supremacy, capitalism, and the U.S. government. In our conversation, Janae mentions the white supremacist attack in 2019, in which Highlander's main office was burnt down. I remember going to homecoming celebration that year. After we were cleared by the community safety team and began our drive up the narrow dirt road through the woods, the burned down building was still on the property And as soon as I saw it, I burst into tears. It felt like legacy lost and the type of terrorism designed to make you too scared to move. But the theme of homecoming that year was don't stop, get it, get it. And so we didn't and haven't. And Highlander is 90 this year. And there's nothing anyone can do that will stop us from continuing to learn and grow together. My experiences on the Hill with Soul Force and other organizations such as Southerners on New Ground shaped me into the person and cultural organizer I am today. I continue to be fortified and inspired by the transformation that happens on the Hill. The episode ends with a hype up of the homecoming celebration. Janae calls it the party of the year and gives a nod to W.E.B. Du Bois in saying, as goes the South, so goes the nation, reminding everyone of what Southern resistance and resilience looks like. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please enjoy my conversation with Janae Taylor. Hey, y'all. My name is Janae. I use she, her, and AI pronouns. I'm a black dyke, but a black dog living in the South here in Durham, North Carolina. I'm originally from Washington, D.C. I'm a native, come from multiple generations, and D.C. means a lot to me. It uh, shaped me built my foundation 
And uh, I work at the Highlander Research and Education Center as a cultural organizer. And it's like living into a dream job. I'm happy to be here. Blessings. We are so lucky to have you here and to hear a little bit more about the Highlander Center and cultural organizing and all that you do. For folks who are maybe not familiar, can you talk about what Highlander is and what kind of work y'all do? Yes. So Highlander Research and Education Center, we address the needs of the people we serve in the United States, South and Appalachia. Highlander is a catalyst for grassroots organizing and movement building. Uh, we help directly impact the people and communities build power, connect their struggles, their relationships. We are a school for movement. We are a school for movement. <laughs> we build leadership and capacity for strong grassroots organizing to advance transformative justice. We do this work through our staff-led program, workshop facilitation, virtual gatherings, curriculum development, and a host of other things. Um, and we do our best to support and participate in movement networks across the region, the U.S. and the globe. So um, I think what's really, really great is that we support intergenerational organizing, youth organizers, elders, um, folks, working class folks, um, folks who are thinking about dismantling capitalism. How do we honor cultural workers and cultural organizers? How do we bring in folks working in uh, mind, movement strategists, historians, and storytellers? We bring all these folks together so we can strategize and learn together so that we can build the path that we need so we can create the futures that we want. Um, and Highlander, having survived multiple attacks, and most recently a terrorist attack in 2019, having survived that, just being a location that allowed or gave space for people of multiple uh, religion, beliefs, ideology, race, gender to be in a place, that itself was a threat. I have a lot of reverence of what it means to be with something that has been in existence for almost 90 years. You know, we're 90 now. We turn 90 this fall. And to have survived, whoo, come on. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's such a rich legacy. It's, it's kind of, to me, it kind of feels like if you know, you know. Otherwise, it's a little bit of a kind of a hidden gem. Yeah. But like a such a crucial location for movement everywhere. Um, yeah. Not just the South. So it's based in Tennessee, but the number of orgs and individuals who have come and trained at the Highlander Center, the impact is worldwide. Yeah. I mean, Highlander was a folk school. And when we think about folk schools, I've heard someone say Appalachia is everywhere, right? Uh, it happens everywhere, like rural organizing, folks who are forgotten about, who are stigmatized. Yes, I think it feels like, just like you were saying, the Appalachian experience is so specific and universal at the same time in the sense of like people are just trying to live their lives in the ways that they know best for their communities and develop that 
self-determination and autonomy. And there's a lot of movement out of Appalachia that people don't know about. Can you tell us what is cultural organizing? Ooh, yeah, that's such a good, a good question. Um, cultural organizing celebrates and honors people's spiritual traditions and cultural expression in the work to shift policies and practice. Um, and I think that's really important to think about how might we practice self-governance, solidarity, economy, and um, celebration amongst one another. And how can we be safe doing that? When I think about policies and practices shifting by the impact of cultural organizing, I think about how many beloved communities there are around this world who are working to keep their land, to honor their land, who are pulling from the recipes and the ingredients that were passed down to them from their people, whoever they define as their people, their family members. And we're taking those things to learn how to be together and how to keep our communities safe. And yeah, that was a long answer. <laughs> That's great. I, I love what you were saying when you were speaking. Ooh, you were saying ingredients and recipes that have been passed down. And that feels like a really important contextual thing. It's like, what have we inherited and what are we going to do? And so I'm curious, like your personal background, you mentioned DC is really important to you. What were your personal, like cultural influences coming up? Yeah, so I was born on April 16th. 1987, and D.C. was the first place to emancipate slaves in the country, and that was April 16th. I think it was 1865. I could be wrong about the exact year. I always think, like, I was born into freedom. You know, I was born on Emancipation Day in Chocolate City. (laughs) And I'm the youngest child of my grandma's youngest child, uh, and her name was Gilgamesh Dorsey North. And she was born on a house on 4th Street in Southwest Washington, D.C. in 1928. And she came from people who were born in houses and um, who cleaned houses. And my grandmother really showed me freedom. She wasn't somebody who left D.C. often. She... <laughs> was a Washingtonian true and true, and really showed me what it meant to be proud of a place. She would watch the local news. Keep, she never wanted cable so she could keep it local. <laughs> she, uh, she loved wrestling because wrestling was the first sport that allowed Black people to sit on the floor in D.C., you know? And she showed me how somebody could live almost a hundred years in one place and still discover things about it. My mother made sure all her kids, all of us were born in D.C. like she was, to be come, come from a place where, you know, Black folks left the South. Harriet came to Maryland, you know, and some of the best organizers from SNCC include Marion Barry, who was the best mayor that, you know, the mayor that we love who built a program that 
built middle class Washingtonians. Like, so I'm very, very proud to be from Washington, D.C. Yes, if I'm remembering correctly, Grace Lee Boggs talked about that, about having commitment to place. Yeah. And that's one of the more revolutionary things you can do. And I know at Highlander, that's one of the methodologies. Man, legacy in place. Yeah. Right. So I'm just thinking about like the political context we find ourselves in that calls us to do this work. And so I want to take it back to this notion of inheritance, kind of similar to the cultural upbringing. Like what are the kind of things that you personally feel you have inherited and are working with or working through? Yeah, I mean, I think land legacy in place is so important. And I never even thought that I understood what it was until until I learned more about popular education. And popular education says, everybody, bring yourself into the room. All your expertise, all your knowledge. And that helped me to identify, oh, I know about land legacy in place. Let me tell you, my grandma. Let me tell you, my grandfather. My grandfather and my father were both firefighters in Washington, D.C. So understanding that land, that legacy, that place, driving through D.C. with my father, how he mourned and grieved what it used to look like. So, yeah, yeah, I think land legacy in place is so, so powerful. I um, talk about a little bit about inheritance on the first Black Joy Experience album and where I talk about what it means to, like, stand in a room with other people of color especially like other, to be a black person in the room with other black people. Like all of our ancestors are in that room at the same time. I, I like to think that this kink that comes out of my head is literally every single person who has ever been in my bloodline. It's wild. Mm. Um, so I've inherited <laughs> stubbornness and like sternness and, and I inherited my hips, my thighs, my eyes, my height, my desire for sugar. There's nothing really about me that isn't rooted from somewhere else. And I'm wrestling with a lot of that, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I went to Christian school from pre-K till 10th grade. And in between that, I was homeschooled for a year and a half. So my first public school experience was 11th and 12th. So I, I spent a lot of that time with purity culture and like mostly white teachers. I, I think Christian supremacy is like in our air. Mm-hmm. It's so tied to white supremacy. And I mean, it's influenced way we talk about people and what they wear. Like, mm-hmm. and it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And I think that that is a clear branch of Christian supremacy, just the way we, we think about that. And I, all those messaging your whole life. The messaging, yeah. the messaging, the messaging, the messaging. And propaganda is strong. Propaganda is strong. Right. Yeah. And it's um, dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, dangerous. because it, it messes with your mind you know it's like the tactic for them is like you mentioned is fear and guilt and so then yeah. people 
move from that place. Yeah. It's absurd. It's wild. It's like I grew up in heavy anti-evolution. Okay? Like, God created the world in seven days. Seven days. Okay? Period. Period. No big bang. I need to... <laughs> there are moments... There have been moments throughout my 20s and my 30s, God, that I've had to, like, YouTube hours of, okay, how... How did this happen? Help me to understand. It's like literally deprogramming myself. I mean, my whole school. I never had sex education. What mm-hmm. a tissue school. My entire learning up until I was 16 was walk by faith and not by sight. If you sow it into the ground, you can reap it. Not... There's a system set up so people cannot grow called capitalism. There's a system where people have to be the bosses and people have to be the workers. It was like, if you pay your tithe, you will get healed. You will not be sick. You will not be in debt. You, all of these things that were not grounded in reality. And mm. so I'm constantly having to go, oh, reality. My family has built churches all up and down the East Coast, one of them being in D.C. to this day, still standing. Um, Had a tea outside for Taylor. (laughs) And uh, being that my family is multiple generations in D.C., there wasn't a place that I could go, really, that somebody didn't know who I was. Like knew a family member, was a firefighter. My my father went to high school. My mom knew my sister. My sister was stylist. Like all of these ways that I was somebody something. Mm. And um, as a black dyke, like trying to live as free and open and as safe as possible. I couldn't do it there with my sanity, you know? So I inherited all of that. I inherited, like, fear. (laughs) Fear of disappointing my parents and disappointing the God that is their choice. And I also inherited, my grandmother used to say, matters to me less. (laughs) Like, matters to me less. I inherited that too. Like, "Mm." Uh Uh oh well. (laughs) Like, so... A double edge. Uh-huh. Blessing. Yeah. Uh-huh. I have noticed some interesting parallels about our experience. Mm-hmm. I I was born also during a revolutionary time in the Philippines. 86, 87 was people power revolution overthrowing a dictator was around right. the time I was conceived and born. And so I feel a strong connection to that as well and i think in the philippines if i'm interpreting this correctly uh, because you know i'm adopted and i'm still trying to reconnect to that culture but there's this phrase uh bahalana which i think is like i know sometimes it has a derogatory sentiment of like kind of like giving up or like people being reckless doing whatever they want but another way is like it is what it is and a kind yeah. of a let, a let go about it. That's what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My great-grandfather would say, I'll see you when I see it. Not sooner or later. Like, yes. 
And I think there's something very universal about being a, a person of being like a black person, being a person of color for you. That like our people have had to go. It is what it is. Like the choice of it being something else has not been there. That's like a part of it. Mm-hmm. The part, a part of the acceptance, the nonchalantness is because choice has been limited. My grandmother was born in 1928 with her father. He was born in 1800. Like, can you imagine? What, what you going to do between the choices you have right. in the late 1800s? Oh, okay. So, it just is what it is. Matters to me last. I see you when I see you because ain't no promise. Ain't no guarantee. Mm-hmm. I feel like some people might interpret that is that that double-edged sword of like giving up, but I hear a real resilience and strategy in that as Mm. far as like, these are the circumstances I'm going to live my life. Yeah. I would say I like the word strategy. I like that. I like to think of cultural organizing on a personal level and a large level. Yeah. You're talking about strategy. Mm. So cultural organizing, we, we like to think of it as a triad created by Ebony Noel Golden and Sister Tafara Muhammad with um, the triad being like a triangle and the base of it being transformation and spirit and the right side being arts and culture and the left side being policies and practices. So how can we use our spirit, our transformation, our, our wellness practice, our relationship with God, Whoever, if it's God, if it's yourself, if it's your ancestors, how does that inform, how do we take that to inform our arts and our culture? And how do we take both of those things to shift our policies and practices? Mm. How do we walk across this triad as a strategy? Cultural organizing is a strategic use of art and culture to shift policies and practices. And so I just thought that was really cool how you said it's a strategy. Because it is. We've been doing it our whole lives. My mm-hmm. people have been doing it our whole lives. It's in our inheritance. Okay? That's that recipe. You pass it down. You pass it down. This work, this didn't work. This work, this didn't try this. Yes. But Yeah. Do you have any favorite or meaningful experiences of cultural organizing? like an initiative or an action or a training that felt like really effective or even just meaningful to you? Mm, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that have been really transformative. When I was 16, I learned about Augusta Boel and Theater of the Oppressed and learning about how he used legislative theater really opened up something like it was like a whole new world. <laughs> what? You can act out things and create laws? <sighs> okay. Right. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Right. This is the history of theater. All I have to say, okay, favorite thing, theater, theater, theater. Watching that when I was 16 just changed me to like see how we could enact policies inside of like our student government. You know, that feels a little bit connected to what we were talking about earlier around choice. And we live in a world where 
a lot of our choices are taken away from us in the bigger picture. And yet we still have personal choice. It's like the thing that we can control the most. And it feels like that the revolution actually starts with self. Like if we can be different people in movement, then movement is different versus if like we are burnt out all the time, then it feels like our movements get burnt out all the time. But oh yeah. That's reality that we get to make. And the choice part yeah. is like, actually, we, the, the worlds that we want are real. They yeah. are inside of us. Well, right quick before we wrap, can you tell us about homecoming, its importance, yeah. and what can people expect? Yo, so our 2022 homecoming theme is that there's a new world coming, inspired by the one and only Dr. Bernice Johnson-Regan, who wrote the song and performed it. She, of course, is a legend, a SNCC freedom singer, uh, a civil rights activist, and a scholar, just a, a person who has poured and poured themselves into the betterment of our people, into movement. So we're centering our 90th homecoming in the message and vision of There's a New World Coming. We're going to honor her and her many contributions to our work and to the movement. And while it also will guide us toward a collective future story, of the world we are building together as we will be moving into Highlanders 110 years. And so we are grounding ourselves in the future that we are building together as Southern freedom fighters, living and organizing in this historically challenging moment for our people. And we are inviting folks to engage, you know, our radical imaginations so we can share our future stories. There is a new world coming. Mm. And we're 90 and we're here to say yes. like movement ain't new. You feel me? People been turning up for over 90 years for sure. Right. And uh we still believe. We mm-hmm. still believe that we will win. Okay. Yes. The South, baby. Ask goes to the South. So goes to the nation. That's what they said. That know? is yes. That that is it. That is it. So there's gonna be workshops. September 30th, October 2nd, workshop. We're, doing, we're opening with a play called A Seat at the Table, the Fannie Lou Hamer story, written by Golden Globe Award winner, playwright and director and activist, my beloved Regina Taylor. Then we'll have Toshi Regan on Saturday night after all the brilliant workshops on Solidarity Economy and Transformative Justice led by our program staff. We'll have Toshi Regan doing Dr. Bernice Regan's song book, Come Through, closing it out with Country Ass Pride held down by Black and Space. We got DJ Bearhop coming through. Y'all don't even hear Ooh, everybody can be lit as uh, a turn up this, on the hill. I love the hill. Turn 187 acres and we're turning 90. We about to get it. It's about to be the party of the year. Party of the year. Yes. Oh my gosh, I love Register, that so much. Registration is open right now. Get in, you know, come through. Yes. It's going to be a good time. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so, so excited. It's such a special time. The world changes. Yeah. I mean, the world is changing all the time, but you can feel the energetic shift when you're on the hill. Yeah. For any experience, but then after a homecoming, yeah, 
the so, mountain boy, they be talking, don't yeah. they? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> they got something to say. Come on out that thing. Mm-hmm. Well, blessings and thank you so much. Appreciate you. Yeah. Same. We got same. To We're gonna keep it rocking out. Hey, 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 go with great. Go with great. Hey, hey. New theme song on the way. Hey. <laughs> All right. All right. Take care hey. and I'll be in touch. Care about you so much. Care about you. Thanks for having me come talk ridiculous shit. All right. That's a good question. Thank you. Good shit. I like your haircut too. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Okay. See you later. Bye. Bye. Happy homecoming, everyone. You can learn more about Highlander at highlandercenter.org or Highlander Center on all social media platforms. In the show notes, you'll find a variety of links connected to the Highlander Center's work and mission, as well as a link to the Black Joy Experience album and some more information on Augusta Bowal and Theater of the Oppressed. Go With Grace is written and produced by me. I also wrote the theme song. Additional music by Blue Sky Moon, Ketza, and Audio Rizzo. The interlude in the intro was Ashes and Smoke by Linda Allen, featuring the voices of Jas Mendez Nunez, Alba Onofrio, and myself at a staff retreat in 2020. Be sure to check out all of our other episodes on Spotify and Podbean. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you like what you hear. Also, please rate and review. It really helps new listeners find this podcast, and we'd love to know what you think. You can also email me at grace at soulforce.org. We'd love to connect. Until next time, go with grace, my friends.